全ての中に使用としてことではないような完了プロセスで芸能です。なんかなんかスピーキングカーンスイングカーンコール。You This month, we are focusing our attention on one of our favorite writers, Brian K. Vaughn. Wired describes Vaughn's comics work as quirky, acclaimed stories that don't pander and still pound pulses. His creator-owned comics work is also characterized by finite, meticulous, years-long story arcs, on which Vaughn comments, that's storytelling, with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Eric Malinowski also of Wired, has called Vaughn the greatest comic book visionary of the last five years, comparing him to Frank Miller, Alan Moore, Paul Pope, and Steve Niles, and praised his addition to the TV series Lost as redeeming that series' third season. In 2015, Vaughn was entered into the Comic Book Hall of Fame by the Eisner Awards. This month we are reading Ex Machina, The Pride of Baghdad. Paper Girls, and why the last man. Yes! Yeah. Yes, we are ready to rock and roll, yeah! We are ready to rock and roll as the case may be, and Q loves our accent. Oh my yeah. god, <laughs> and, now we, and now we should do the German dance. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I will do the German dance for you. <laughs> exactly. Did you, just, did you just say flaccid? No, yes. I, that's me. I now have it on a button. Flaccid. <laughs> so now every time someone makes a bad joke, I can do this. Flaccid. And every time we lead into, you know, something, you know, uh, like might happen. Dun, dun, dun. And then, of course, when, you know, we say something terribly mean. I mean. I, I Thank you. Like, yes. I was hoping you had that drop. <laughs> I'll be honest, I, I'm, I'm really actually looking into how to make them uh, ringtones and make them available so that if people want to ringtones. Uh, Only 99 cents a piece on iTunes. Oh, no, I'm not going to charge for them, but uh, I might put them uh, on If you're website. using my voice, I need a contract. <laughs> that's, why I'm not, that's, that's why I'm not paying. For charging Mitch, for someone got to pay us for all the work we do for this thing. <laughs> uh, These comic books ain't free, motherfucker. Exactly. There's got a bucks that I have. Unlimited. Only six ninety nine a month. So welcome, friends, uh, to Raspberry. the Funny Books and Firewater <laughs> podcast. Uh, this month we are doing a uh, highlight on a specific writer, um, one we've liked his work in the past. So we are uh, 
highlighting Brian K. Vaughn, and uh, this is our first book of our Brian K. Vaughn month, and we are doing Ex Machina, uh, which is a story of a superhero who becomes the mayor of New York, like you do, obviously. And with us we have our standard accoutrement, the uh, soon-to-be-heard on cell phones everywhere, we have Q. Blasted. <laughs> 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 um... <laughs> Hi everyone, I'm Q. Um, I'm actually currently contemplating auditioning for a Shakespeare show. Ooh, I know, like, stretching back to to college with uh, my okay. My Shakespeare which, which show is it? First off, that's uh, the Tempest. Okay. Mm. You may need to tell the story of the uh, of the brilliant production that we did of uh, uh, Romeo and Juliet. I played Friar Lawrence. Yes, I was amazing as Friar Lawrence. I know uh, I wasn't. My favorite was, story, though, is the story of the desk and the potted so, plant. So, there, so there's two great stories. Actually, three great stories. Well, are you going to tell the Artie story as well? Or the yeah, Artie story? Yeah. I mean, first of all, okay. you can't talk about Romeo and Juliet at Utah State <laughs> University in, what was that, 2001, without yeah. talking about um, those things. So, um, so first of all, I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I know this story. I'm excited for all of you to hear so this. There, so, there, so there's three three good things. Um, anyway, hi, I'm Q. You guys are all welcome. Follow me on this and that and the others. Um, so, You're mean. So, so when Brian and I were in college, we did Romeo and Juliet. And because, you know, you, you can't just do Shakespeare. You have to do Shakespeare with a twist. We said it in modern times in a modern high school. It was a terrible idea. So all of, uh, I believe it was all of the Montagues were, uh, like, weirdo goth kids. And, like, all the Capulets were, like, super preppy jock kids. Yeah. And it was really dumb and really... It was. It, it just really didn't play out that well. The only really good thing is that we had um, our friend Amy played Mercutio, which was awesome. Yeah, she was bitching. So it awesome. It was quite the pastel set. I yeah. <laughs> yes, it was. Um, and, also, and also, you guys used uh, your your high school's uh, Letterman's jacket. Oh, so side note on the Letterman jacket. Mm -hmm. So one of the guys who had to play in the role, play in the role. I won't name him out in case he listens to the show, but he was notorious for having ridiculously bad bo, like mm -hmm. super bad. I'm sorry, are we talking about D'Artagnan? Yes, we are. Um, <laughs> so. I, I have no shame. I shared a fucking dressing room with him. It's yeah. disgusting. Um, so anyway, so I had this roommate who I went to high school with who just annoyed the living shit out of me, and so what ended up happening is they came asking because because it was supposed to be like Verona High, and I went to Viewmont High, so of course there was a V on our Letterman jacket. And this roommate of mine, he was one of those kids who like was an asshole to me in high school, went on his mission, came back, and we end up being roommates just by pure luck of the draw of you know student housing. And so we decided that we were now going to be buddies because we knew each other you know back in high school. And I'm like, no, it's not going to how this is going to work out. Anyway, so when they were looking for Letterman jackets, I said, yeah, I don't know if I have one. I mean, I was just I was a theater geek. I didn't get a Letterman jacket, but my roommate <laughs> probably had one. So I threw him fucking under the bus and had him loan out his Letterman jacket to it because I knew it was going to be worn by D'Artagnan. I'm like, fuck you. You're going to have a stinky jacket. Anyway, that's my little evil <laughs> thing yeah, I did on the side. So, so I played Friar Lawrence. I don't know why in college I always played old people. I, I don't think I ever played anyone remotely my age. Um, but, uh, so the first thing was that our Romeo had a very terrible uh, nervous tick where any time before he went on stage he had to vomit. So <laughs> no, he did not tell anyone this 
until dress rehearsal when he vomited profusely in the voms, which yes. you know, we, we, ha- we have a thrust stage where we have vom- voms that come out from underneath the uh, audience. And uh, he would throw up and then go on stage. So poor Katie, who played Juliet, oh. <laughs> who had no idea that this was a thing, had to make out with Romeo, who had just thrown up. Yeah, the second night they had trash cans and yep. Altoids at yep. every different yep. entrance. So then every entrance we had we had trash cans and Altoids for him. It was like puke, 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 puke. Altoid, go on stage. So I say that one first because that one's the least of the three. So, so Brian's favorite story is, <laughs> so my desk as Friar Lawrence came out of one of the bombs and we had plants glued all over it, you know, to make it look homey. And you know, I had that huge monologue about plants. So I had to bring on my own desk with the help of this freshman who, I can't remember what his real name was, but we all called him Roach. His last name was Roach. I want to say his name was Mike Roach. Oh, his last name really was Roach? Oh, I thought we were all just mean. And he, no, no, because he wasn't, like, he was a pathological liar, like, to give you a background. Yeah, so, um, this was the year 9-11 happened, and so he Mm -hmm. literally came into school the day after 9-11 wearing a suit because he said he had to go to a funeral for a fighter pilot buddy of his who died in Iraq. We were not at war with anyone yet, at all. It was like two days after, and like, there was just suspicion that you know the Middle East had something to do with 9/11 at that point in time. So he was like, he was fucking crazy, like super fucking crazy. In fact, there was one point in time we had a guest lighting designer, um, Beverly. What I can't remember her last name. Very, very famous lighting designer from New York. Because uh, 9/11 shut so much stuff down, we got like a bunch of big Broadway designers started going out and doing guest lecturing gigs because there was nothing else for them to do. So she came out, and uh, I was up in uh, hanging lights with him and. Uh, our professor Bruce was seriously convinced because the guy kept talking back to the Broadway designer trying to correct her on things and he like Bruce thought that I was going to throw him out like literally thought that he was going to come flying out of the ceiling and land on the stage <laughs> he it should was have. a real possibility it really was so, anyway, anyway, so Roach had to help me take this um, take this desk on and I can't remember if it was in the middle of the run or what night it was as we are coming up the vom up the ramp with the desk one of the plants like, the glue came undone, and it fell off the desk. And so I'm like, just leave it. Let's go. Like, let's just put it on the thing. So instead, he puts the desk down. We're still mid-scene change, by the way. Yeah. He picks up the plant, turns to the lady who is sitting next to the bomb, and goes, hey, can you hold this? I'll be right back. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> We're breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> yeah. We put it on the thing, and I'm just staring at him the whole time. Like, oh, my God. So we put the desk down. He walks up, and he goes... Thank you so much. Puts the plane back on the desk and then walks off the stage. And I'm just like, so I'm standing there. The lights change, and I just look at the audience and start my monologue. And I'm like, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I, and, and I think I like put the the plant like in the desk or like t- took it off with me or something. <laughs> so that way it didn't happen again. But I was just like, oh my gosh, what are you, what are you doing? But the, the best story. The best. The, best story of this. And I think we have all told the story a thousand times. I think every time... And I, I don't think believe that, that it's true. It's and, one of the other I think the last time that, um, w- that I was in New York, like a year, about a year ago, when um, I saw Hedwig and I saw Brian, um, Brian Barr and Eric and Kevin, I think mm-hmm. we told the story to my other friends who were there. So there was this guy named Arnie who was in the show. And Interesting he was, cat. Um, he background very, information on Arnie. Very, is, very tense. 
yeah, very, very intense. Big, strapping, like, straight off a farm kid. The last semester he had in college, he decided he didn't want to pay for a... Uh, a dorm room, so he was sleeping in his car, and mm-hmm. he had an uncle who worked at the poisoned plant lab on campus, so he was parking there until they decided that it might be too dangerous, and also was, it was getting freezing cold, to death. It was a fucking winter. Yeah, <laughs> and, 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 they, and they kicked him out of, like, he was just basically parking his car in Park Street. He was living out of his car because he didn't want to pay for a dorm room. But, like, the, I always kind of imagine him, if you remember the show Salute Your Shorts, the camp, oh, yeah, the camp yeah. counselor. Imagine him with shorter hair. That's what Arnie always made me think of for some reason. But like a little more, you know, intense and kind of I don't know, yeah. beefy. I so, guess. so, so he's just he's just a very intense actor. So like Kevin, the director, gave him this like the second chorus monologue, which happens right before the the balcony scene, which everyone always cuts. Like everyone cuts it because it doesn't make sense and no one cares. Well, because Shakespeare wrote trash. So so anyway, so Arnie was just very intense and it was weird. So we're at so we're at the end. I have just given the fifth monologue of mine where it's the hey, in case you fell asleep, this is just what happened in this entire show. So we're all standing, everyone's like doing like their fake crying and the dead bodies are on stage and you know everyone's just oh so sad. So the the show is so the lights go down, the lights come up, everyone is standing, we all take one group bow together, lights go down, we all exit through the vomps as quick as possible. Because he didn't want to do a whole, like, curtain call thing, he thought that it would, like, ruin the, the thing. So, anyway, so the show ends, and, you know, everyone's kind of crying, and... The prince says this of Juliet and her Romeo. The lights start to go down. Arnie, full of emotion, just goes, <laughs> Like Chewbacca, man. As the lights are coming down. So, like, everyone is, like, shaking, trying not to laugh. Like, we're trying to hide it with tears. Cause, and, like, so then when the lights go down, like, like the audience is laughing because they're not sure what the hell that was. Because also he he doesn't have like he doesn't have he's not like a character in the show. It's not like he he played like Lord Capulet or like anyone with a name. So the lights come back up. We're we're now all visibly shaking, laughing. Take a bow and just run into the bombs and start laughing. It was seriously the most awkward thing. Ever happened on stage. It was so. And we're all just like, Arnie, what the hell's on? like, you guys, I was just caught up in that emotion, man. I don't know. I was just, I was just feeling it, and I just, it just needed to be released. And we're like, dude, go take a pill. Like you are crazy. Uh, yeah, that was a notoriously bad production too. Like Romeo and Juliet met while crowd surfing. At a party, like it was, it was so weird. And of course, for those of you who are in Utah, you'll appreciate this joke. Uh, so you know, Romeo has to go sojourn in Mantua. Well, we were so close to Mantio that that, that was the constant. No, joke no, Manaway. 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 That's right, Manaway. Yeah, Manaway. You didn't. Yeah. We did, I don't think they actually said it. Did they? No, no, okay. we did. Um, the ner- the nurse said Manaway, and then paused, and then said Mantua. <laughs> I, I remember Kathy See, Davis did that. This is why you things. don't let teenagers watch Baz Luhrmann films. <laughs> it's true. Oh, it's true. 
Anyway, uh, a big proponent of Baz Luhrmann films, we have Adam. <laughs> hey, to be honest, I like Baz Luhrmann films. Just uh, they, they get a bit too uh, sit on a pedestal when you're 16. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Uh, hey, it's me, Adam, from uh, Big Chinese Robot and also Bored as Hell Podcast with Andy Wilson. Hi, Andy. Andy. Um, yeah, it's it's February, so... Uh, it's nothing. It's kind of like the crap month where they're dropping movies no one gives a shit about, like you know, Fifty Shades Darker, um, yeah. which I'm so excited to go see. Gotta love those uh, digitally re-enhanced pubes. Uh, but yeah, so check me out there. I'll have fun doing that. Oh, and at this time, uh, it's come up. Uh, we know what got nominated for the Oscars, and we also know what got nominated for the Razzies. Which I get to vote on. So, uh, right before we learn what the best movies of the year are, when it's not political, uh, we also figure out what the worst movies are. So, keep an eye on that and have fun. I think the cool. Razzies have actually already been announced. Uh, like, the votes, the ballots aren't due until next week. So, okay. Uh, uh, announced, uh, uh, like, uh, oh, you don't mean nominations. You mean who wins? Yeah, no, the nomination. Um, we just voted on nominations. The ballots are due this week or next week. And I think they announced the day of or the day after the it, Academy it's the Award night nominations. Before. I know, yeah, I know that's when they do the, the awards, but I don't. I can't remember when the nominations are, but um, it's always no, fun. The, the so. nominations are already out. I already, I already saw the list. Really? That was or, or, weird. Or, 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 or was that just the what's on the ballot? Uh, let me see. I, 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 read a, I read a post. It was on the internet. It was real. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it it, it could have just been what's on the ballot to go out to you guys. Well, the ballot's weird because the ballot has suggestions, but you can write in your own things. So it's kind of fun because you can, uh, you can actually do all write-ins for both the ballot and the awards. Uh, there's a short list out. They haven't actually included... Oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> oh, there's, there's a short list out right now. So there's a list of movies they are expecting to be nominated. Oh, but, oh it's just what they're yeah. expecting to win. Oh, okay. But no, yeah, it's actually really fun. And to be honest, you can join for $25. Oh. So if you want to so vote, vote for, on the Razzies for 25 bucks. Yeah. yeah. Is that yeah. yearly or for life? Uh, it's yearly. They also do a uh, like I always get it as like a birthday slash Christmas gift for a couple of my critic friends. For like uh-huh. forty bucks, you get like four um, memberships, and it's always just kind of fun. So, all right, for for forty bucks, we could have everyone on this podcast be a member. Kind that, yeah, it's always like in April they do a they do a big promotion for it, um, and then I think there's like one thing where it's like for five hundred bucks you can be like a lifetime member, but I'm probably gonna die before I get that old. So. Um, I think 25 bucks a year is just fine. Future voter for the Razzies, we have Todd. Yes, that is very true, because I am intrigued. Hi, I'm Todd. You can find me on the Funny Books of Firewater podcast. You'll also find me listening to Big Shiny Robot from Adam over there. You should listen hey. to that. And Bored as Hell. That's good, too. I just listened to the episode, your most recent one, on your favorite movies and the movies you hated the most. And I kind of want to see The Greasy Strangler just because it's so bad. See, it's one of those movies I kind of, I almost want to buy it just to, like, put it on and see how long people can last. Like Manos Hands of Fate, because <laughs> it's. Uh, it, mm-hmm. I know we're not gonna we're not in a movie thing, but the the <laughs> shitty thing about that movie. Listen to this; you may not have heard the other one. Is like the first 20, 30 minutes is fun, and then it just gets repetitive and dumb. And it's trying to like pay homage to John Waters, but it's too stupid for John Waters. So that's where it kind of falls apart. So yeah, so I'm kind of interested in seeing this Greasy Strangler, but not really. But yes, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of pain in it. It's all about who you go see it with, I guess. Old man peen. Old man peen. Ah, <laughs> oh no, it's a huge schlong. <laughs> and it goes God. through a car wash. Car wash!
Sasha. All right. Yeah, so that's me <laughs> listening to podcasts. Apparently, someone who wants to go see Old Man Peen, but we'll see how that goes. Old yeah, I'm Todd. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, See, this is the embarrassing thing is I will say that and like sing this like just with you know on my head and then I'll go listen to it when I actually edit it and go oh my god I cannot sing like I am awful every time people like because like I've been in theater for a long time like oh don't you want to be on stage I'm like no no, no there's a really good reason why I'm a behind the scenes guy really good reasons like So what does not exist anywhere for my thing is I once tried out at Rogers Memorial Theater and my tryout song was uh, Modern Major General. Wow. And it was hideously bad. Was that that for uh, Seven Breaths, Seven Brothers? It was something I just tried out once and I immediately got cut for very good reasons. Because I'm awful. I I got conned into auditioning for Seven Breaths, Seven Brothers. And I... Because basically... uh, who was I think it was Cliff uh, who was one of the producers there at the time mm-hmm. um, he said hey what are you doing tomorrow and I assumed it was you know come and work on a project and I said uh, nothing you know he goes okay cool uh, so auditions are at this point in time come in and audition and I was like uh, you, uh, no he goes hey, you're not doing anything you're coming in and auditioning I'm like son of a bitch I got cast as like one of the town's boys is what I got cast as I had to fight with uh, Eric Millward playing Francis on, uh, on something anyway mm-hmm. about a week before the show was supposed to go into tech rehearsals I ended up breaking my ankle and so I ended up basically mixing more of that show than I ever performed in it because I, uh, I I did rehearsals, but I, I couldn't actually, you know, Do it. perform in it. So, oh yeah, my was, goodness, that's so sad. Your stage debut. Uh, yeah, you know what? I'm okay with it. Because the other funny thing is, everyone when we were in school, as Q knows, most people assumed that to get your all your credits, you had to actually be in a show. And I figured out that you didn't have to actually be in the show. You just had to have an advanced acting credit. So mm-hmm. I took voice for the actor because it was the only acting class that was like an advanced acting class that only required acting one as a prerequisite and you had to take acting one as well so that's i took that class which i refer to as my hippie zen class because basically it was yoga in the morning and breathing exercises and trying to memorize lines and you know that's it was fun i and i love adrian it was just so fucking early in the morning and like Mm -hmm. Getting up early in the morning for college class and then being told to lie on the floor and relax is dangerous. Like, so dangerous. Um, anyway, yes. hi, I'm Brian. I'm a sound designer in Southern California, <laughs> uh, living in utter chaos right now. Uh, so, I, Adam, you didn't hear this story, but so I woke up this morning and I love my dog, but my wife is currently out of town, so I have been a single parent of this puppy Aww. who I believe is having a little bit of separation anxiety from his mom. Yes, I'm talking about you. I can tell. You're it's jumping because up the, the dog likes her better, Brian. Oh, it's completely <laughs> true. It's a mama's boy, and that's fine. Jess won't believe me, but it's completely true. Oh, it's true. So anyway, so I woke up this morning to take him out, and I, I'm wearing socks, and I go to step out the front door of my bedroom and all of a sudden I feel squish under my feet and I said oh shit and it literally was dog shit so my poor little puppy <laughs> is sick today he is now shit in the house twice today and uh, and so um, but so then aside from dealing with all of that last night I came into the second bedroom which I use as an office uh, to get my copy of Ex Machina to read it so we can do the show today and then this morning when I go uh, and so I just open the door for a brief period of time and then I shut you know the door behind me so that the cat can't get in here well, so I am looking for the cat this morning when I'm feeding the dog, and none of her food's been eaten, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, she's probably hiding, because she has like a little hole in the couch she hides up in there. So about 20 minutes before we're supposed to record, I come into the office to start, you know, get my computer up and running, and I open the front door of the office, and boom, there's the cat sitting there on the, on the, uh, the couch, and I'm like, well, 
that would be why you haven't eaten anything. Okay, so he's out <laughs> eating now, and the dog's hanging out here, and I'm basically in chaos with animals just popping out from places I don't know, and things popping out of animals, which I wish I didn't know what it was. Um, so that's been my day. Um, anyway, uh, so we're reading Ex Machina this week, which, uh, as I said earlier, is basically, it's a story of a superhero who, um, his power is, is through a, an accident, because that's how superheroes get their powers, most of the time, unless they're born on other planets. He gets the ability to talk to machines. Um, so basically anything with sort of, any sort of mechanism he can sort of talk to and control. Um, and he becomes a superhero, and due to some of his heroics, he ends up parlaying that into a political career. And this story surrounds uh, his first 100, well, his his time in office as um, uh, as the mayor of New York City. So this first book is called uh, The First 100 Days. He is Mayor 100, I think his name is Martin 100, something like that. Mitchell. Should we... Mitchell Hunter, 100. So anyway, that's the most basic of intros, and of course we will get to the full bloody details uh, later uh, with our special friend Q. Uh, but <laughs> that being said, if you're going to read this, you're going to want a drinking game. And now for sports. Banning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sports. Listen up, sports fans. The thrill of victory. Prepare yourself and your liver for this week's drinking game. And the agony of defeat. Remember it's only a game, and a dumb one at that. The human drama of athletic competition. So don't take it too seriously. And above all else, please drink responsibly. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. Rule one, the a slip in the time stream rule. Every single time, the book jumps back and forth among time, so it'll be like, oh, now it's March. 2001, and then it's June 2002. Uh, you have to take a drink, and you will get shit hammered in the first 20 pages. Rule two: the gearhead rule. Every time you see the little gear emblem, uh, it shows up multiple times throughout the book. It shows up at the beginning of every chapter. Uh, when you see that little emblem, take a drink. Rule three: the yeah, it's not hackney rule. Every time you see Mitchell Hundred, and you see that mechanical wiring slash scarring on his face and you're like oh does he have acne or something yeah it's not acne take a drink and our final rule the politico rule anytime political parties are mentioned such as someone being called conservative liberal gop republican democrat independent oh and that is a great little greeting game for you and you know outside of adam's rule not entirely evil so that being said um now is the time in which we allow to catch up on his drinking and we take a little drink and so if you want to read the book and uh, don't want it to be spoiled for you you can pause and we will wait and uh, you can read it and then when you come back we'll go all spoilerific on this and uh, we will see you on the flip side if you have yet to read this week's book and would like to read it now press pause go ahead we'll wait Okay, uh, after all that side note aside, we are back. To be honest with you, outside of comic books and booze, the thing we talk about here most is musical theater, I've noticed. <laughs> Which is true. It's very true, and I'm fine with it. I, if, if we could somehow put footlights in there, you know, like Funny Books, Firewater, and Footlights, we could just incorporate all of them together. Yeah, it's, it's musical theater and oddly enough, pussy. So... Yeah, oddly enough, though, you seem to be who talks about pussy the most, not the two straight guys on the show. I know, isn't that weird? Uh, it is what it is. Isn't um, that weird? Yeah, it's really fucking weird. It's really fucking weird. Uh, anyway, so Q, are you ready to do your duty as an American? Listen, listen, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. So this book is another one that is like super complex. I've actually been like trying to like 
look through it to make sure I don't skip over like any major details. But I'm just, again, forewarning everyone who's, who's listening to this. There is so much of it that happens and it flips back and forth through time a lot that it's it's very like this sort of two minute summary is well hopefully less than two minutes because we've been talking already for forever um (laughs) that you know hopefully you kind of get the gist of it but there's still a lot that happens lightning round begins so this book opens up with uh, Mitchell Hunter talking about how things kind of sucked, and then it flashes back to him as a kid, and you can tell he's like a comic book hero, or like he's a comic book fan already, and his mom is very political. Then it's inauguration day of him being a um, of the mayor of New York. A guy tries to shoot him, and then this lady Suzanne, who is a journalist, gets in the the limo with him as they're trying to get away, and he kicks her out because he's um, whatever. So then you kind of see how he got his powers, where he's on a boat with this guy, Bradbury, who you just saw is his head of security, and they find this weird glowing object in the water underneath the Brooklyn Bridge, and it blows off like half his face, and uh, gives him his power. So then it flashes back to the quote present, uh, where he is the mayor again. Uh, You meet Journal, who is his 18-year-old hot intern, which I'm still uncomfortable with that relationship. Then it flashes back again, and we meet Kremlin, who is his inventor friend who helps him make all of his stuff. Oh no, I'm sorry, we already met Kremlin, who was babysitting him when he was a kid. Again, this flips flips through time so much. You are already drunk. You are already drunk right now, following the executive manual. So then you flash forward when he actually becomes the great machine, and he saves some people off a train. Okay, fuck, fuck this. I'm like going page by page. Alright, so then we meet like, um, I, I'm assuming he's, is he the governor? That means he works for the governor's office. I don't think it actually Okay, so he works for the governor's office. There's like lots of like political pressuring and they're both just like, fuck you, you're an idiot. And both of them are just like, no, we both hate each other, whatever. Then his like deputy mayor guy, you see the flashback of when they meet and him trying to run for mayor. And then um, you find out that only one tower fell during during 9-11. So then you meet the commissioner who is a pretty tough New York broad who's kind of awesome, I like her, who he keeps in his administration. Um, you then meet Candy, his press secretary. Is she the press secretary? Excuse me, chief, chief of staff. So then they're out in the blizzard, and apparently, so then there's this art show that is happening at the um, at a, a, a big museum, and it's a picture of Abraham Lincoln with the N word written across him, and it's all very controversial. And then a snowplow guy gets shot. Then they're discussing this whole. Uh, thing and he finds out about the guy getting shots he's like meditating with machines I don't know so then he asks uh, journal to go talk to the artist and they're still trying to investigate how uh, why that guy died and then Kremlin comes in and he gives you a creepy feeling and then another snowplow blows up again this flips through time so much oh my gosh I'm so exhausted then you see him uh, helping people during 9-11, uh, and people are like real mad at him or whatever. And you're just kind of like, fuck you, dude. So then they go and go to investigate the explosion. Then Journal goes and talks to the artist, who I think is a total piece of shit. 
kind of hated that character. I didn't want to punch her in her throat. But I loved how much she got put in her place, though. Yeah. It's like, oh, I yeah. know what you're doing here, and this was this, and that was that. And you're yeah. like, because I hate... I hate art snobs with a motherfucking passion. Exactly. Because they'll look at like a, a, a like a people will make like a art thing of like feces and urine and semen and be like, and they're like, oh, well, this represents, you know, how much it's like, modern no, society. You just wanted to shock people. Shock me, shock yeah. me, shock me with your deviant behavior. So then they think that it might be Kremlin who is the one who is um, attacking the snowplow guys. Someone defiles the the picture of Abraham Lincoln. Um, Blah, blah, blah. They confront Kremlin, and they find out that it wasn't him. Journal goes to confront the stupid artist, and she's like, whatever. And uh, she's a bitch. You find out that it's not Kremlin, but then they're talking about who might... Um, but he kind of solves the case and says that it's probably some asshole kid. Turns out it is an asshole kid who kills himself. Fuck that kid. And you find out the person who destroyed the painting was actually the artist of themselves. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, that's right. The artist actually did it herself, although they can't prove it, whatever. So then you find out that Kremlin and Bradbury have these two devices that can actually negate uh, Hundred's powers. Then you meet um, the guy from the NSA who... The, um, this, who he used to, who he, um, Mitchell used to work with. Um, he officiates some boring wedding. Um, they're talking about education reform. So, to pause for one moment, um... You went further than my book does. Oh, I mean, does my book cover more than... Because mine I've just got, says volume one. I had, one. like, a lot in my book. I, I had the first full yeah, trade, and it goes through, like, four yeah. parts. Oh, yours goes through 12? Oh, yeah. mine goes through six. Yeah, mine only goes through the first six. Oh. Well, then we'll talk about that then. Because we, you, well, we're, you we're, and we're I are over cheaters. Then. Okay. <clears throat> well, shit. Then that, that means. So now I'm pissed. Why is that? Because <laughs> it's just like DMZ, where I bought a book that I read all of, and I didn't have to read all of it. So, so where? Yeah, because you didn't. You guys didn't even get to like the gay wedding or anything. Then. Uh -oh. No, we didn't get to that. Oh, oh damn! That was the best part of the book. Ends after. Ours ends a little after the kid kills himself, mm -hmm. and then uh, it's sort of like him wrapping it up with uh, the girl, and then they, they show that he gave the, the guys a thing. Well, shit, there's so much more that happens after that. I know, All you right, and I, like, like, yeah, like, I spent, like, I've, like, I, you know, I read this whole thing this morning. But yeah, there's, like, that's, like, the, that's the boring part of the book, but the rest of it is where it gets good. I know. Okay, so if we're just going to judge it on that first thing, then well, no, we, we don't have to do that. Even like, no, worse. Let's just do this. <laughs> the, the review is going to be even worse than what it was. Um, <laughs> well, okay, then let, let's do it this way. I mean, have you guys read this at all? I, I've, I've read... Oh. The first, I don't know how many trades I have. I have several trades. I've not quite finished it, but I have several of the trades. It's one of those books that I had bought, was reading through it, and I liked it okay. I wasn't convinced enough to read, like, to continue reading it, and then I realized it was a finished series, and so I wanted to go back and finish it off. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I still have to go back and get some of those. I liked it better the second time around reading it this time around than I did the first time around reading it. Well, I'm going to say that... The book that I have, and I'm assuming the same one that Adam has, ends with him talking to the psychic. Yeah, exactly. And then he's like, sure. "Where there, he just turns a crack guys, out of psychic." You guys know where that is. Yeah. There, there, and, and there's like the whole thing where the the um, the symbols, the alien symbols, or what we assume alien symbols, are appearing around the city hmm. and fucking people up. And like, yeah, yeah like, like, there's some okay. disturbing shit in that later that, that second yeah. part of the book. <clears throat> like a kid gets cut in half. So yeah, I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna end right there okay. all right so since, since i already started so uh, one of the things that i said i was gonna like about this book but it's now not in this book because 
the book we ended. We can discuss both. I have no problem. Just, um, just continue the performance. But, um, but the, th- the thing that I kind of liked is that he's actually talking about, like, real political issues. Mm-hmm. Um, like, he's actually talking about education reform. And it's just like, wait, this is a superhero book. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, yeah, I actually wanted to be the mayor to, like, be the fucking mayor. And, like... Yeah pick shit which is which is really cool like I'd, I I kind of like that um, other than that um, sometimes it does feel a little too preachy because they're they're like which is why I made the politico rule because uh, he's really he has to be very staunch in the fact that he's an independent he is not um, a Republican or a Democrat and he you know he, he's just a realist and I'm just like okay I get it so you don't want to play like the political sides and so you make both sides seem like really shitty and stupid I th- so I thought like it was that that was kind of preachy but overall much like uh, my feeling of the cocktail that I found to go along with this book I was kind of meh about it I did find apparently the second part of this book much more interesting with um, with the whole like I, again, we're assuming alien um, symbols appearing everywhere and making people act super crazy. Like that—that that at least was like much more interesting and uh, exciting. But my other kind of criticism of the book, and it's not so much a criticism of the book; it's more of a criticism of a lot of the books that we have read. So that's why I think it feels worn out and tired to me because mm-hmm. we have definitely read a lot of books from the same era, which is that post nine nine eleven, and so mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of books revolve around that. And that's not their fault necessarily, because obviously a major event in history is going to inspire a lot of different kind of art and give you know and have a lot of different reactions. But at this point, because because we've only been doing this for you know a little less than a year and we've read a lot of books um, and again we've read a lot of books from this exact time frame DMZ this um, the the boys the pro well although the pro really doesn't talk about it but it, it just feels similar to the boys but like just lots of references to like superheroes dealing with 9-11 it's so it just like at this point at when this was written I'm sure like this was because this was, came out in like 2004 like his proposal at the end of this book came out in 2002 so obviously mm-hmm. it was still fresh in people's minds it was definitely a different take um, whereas like to me now reading this you know 12 years not not 12 yeah 12 years later 14 years later it and and also just reading all of those other books it just f- kind of feels tired at this point um and and, and again uh, I, oh, I always feel like I say and again a lot I'm sorry America it's not that the story isn't well crafted my other thing like the jumps through time it also definitely feels like memento which was another big kind of thing at the time was very shocking and Mm -hmm. i think just like memento i think it works here because it's just showing you as enough as you need to go to the next section just just showing Mm -hmm. you that little snippet to get you to the next place without like having and i kind of like that that it's not okay this is my origin story and then this is my first adventure as a superhero and then this is you know all of that stuff i kind of like that it that it jumps around but uh, again that that sort of like jumping around through time as as someone who has has obviously read a lot and seen a lot of that kind of stuff because it was definitely a thing that was happening a lot at the time like a a writing um tool again it just feels kind of like oh okay like i get it when I when, and again, I read a whole lot more 
<laughs> then I guess I needed to. So by the time I got to the end of, I guess, the second arc with the whole NSA and the, you know, the alien symbols around, I got to the end of that and I was like, oh good, it's finally done. And I turned the page and there was still more and I was like, oh my fucking God, there's more? <laughs> And, and, and it was only one issue. It was sort of like a breather issue where he talks to this psychic woman, which was actually kind of kind of interesting as well. But I was like, oh my god, there cannot be any more of this. Like I'm like I'm done. Like this, I need I needed to have a break after after it. Anyway, all right, I'll stop talking. So one thing, I mean, yes, I know that we've read a lot of things from this era. I also part of that's two reasons. I think that's Todd and I. That's where we got into comics, so that's where half of the panel got into comics. So that's why a lot of that stuff is from that time frame because that's basically our entry point. So from there to now is what we've read. Um, so where you and Adam have more of a background in deeper comics, you know, we just don't necessarily know what those books are. The other thing I think is interesting regarding 9-11 in particular is, um, I remember when Todd and I used to watch a fair amount of anime when we were in college and the thing that I always found so interesting was how much of the anime in either subtle or very large ways still referenced the atomic bomb. Like even, you know, multiple decades in the past. And so I, I sometimes feel like potentially, I mean, I don't know, maybe it will be, maybe it won't be, uh, time will only tell, that, that the 9-11 will be a, a mark point um, similar to that, you know, at least culturally, um, where it shook up enough people's lives and made, I mean, because I think more than, I mean, there, there's obviously the connection where there are people who were in New York or had family members in New York or who were in the area and who felt it very close and departed, but I think on a broader scale, it was, I think, one of the first big times um, where there's been an attack on American soil. Americans felt vulnerable from outside uh, pressure, you know what I mean? Like, we're pretty good as Americans about killing ourselves off. It was one of the first times where we had a large, massive something come in from outside and attack us. And I think that was sort of like this, this basically uh, breaking up of sort of this happy-go-lucky, well, you know, things are all going to be fine. We're our own worst enemies, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, there are things out there that can get us. And so I think it was a little bit of a wake-up call in that respect, and I think that that's because it's enough of a, a shaking point culturally, I think that's why you see a lot of references to it in, all, in most things that are written after that. I mean, not everything has echoes to that, but I think it, it does do that. It kind of reminds me of, uh, and I'm rambling a little bit here, so if anybody has something else you want to jump in on. Well, see, I was going to say, like, I mean, obviously we know 9-11 was an inside job. I mean, jet fuel won't melt steel beams. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. As fuck. <laughs> but no, you, yeah, you, you yeah. got a good point about that. I mean, if you if you look back, you know, there, there are certain events that take place that are always, like you mentioned, that touchstone that influences pop culture and the media. I mean, World War II, we had Nazis, of course, and all that kind of craziness. Then you look at, like, uh, the Red Scare and the Cold War, and all of a sudden, everything switched over to aliens and, you know, radiation and stuff because that was after the atomic bomb and mm -hmm. we were afraid of that which was alien to us or to our values. Then you hit Vietnam War and all of a sudden now we're into the supernatural and we're into, uh, like, the exorcist and zombies and these things coming to eat us and destroy our way of life. And then 9-11 was the next kind of big bump, like you said, that hit us and actually influenced all of us. I mean, I, I, I can honestly say pretty much everyone our age knows exactly where they were that morning, what was going on, and could probably play it out in their mind, like, almost with a photographic memory. I mean, I remember waking up. I was uh, going to actually into Brea to get to interview for Bank of America. And mm -hmm. I was at my we, we went to my friend's grandparents' house because they live, like, two miles away. And I fell asleep on the couch watching MTV, probably like Road Rules or something stupid. And I woke up to see the second plane hit the tower. And I literally thought I was watching a movie. I'm like, oh, what movie is this? And it took me about five good minutes 
to be like, oh shit, this is real. And I think mm-hmm. we all had that, oh shit, this is real moment then. So that's, for a long time, it's going to be kind of rolling over into our media. Uh, and unfortunately, it only seems to happen with tragedy. So like this, like the, the Pulse Orlando shooting, um, you know, Sandy Hook, all these these crazy, horrible things, um, uh, like, you know, the, the shooting at the theater in Aurora, like they're just, they're going to stick with us for a while. And to be, you know, to be kind of fair with this book was I suggested it not because I knew much about it, but because I had I'd gotten it for a Christmas present and I hadn't read it yet. Um, <laughs> So I was like, oh, let's, let's do this one because I've heard really good things about it. So, um, but yeah, any kind of comics you're going to see from the last 15 years, some way or somehow were influenced by those events. And, you know, Q makes a good point. We've read a lot of it, but I think it's just because as adults, it's the stuff we've more, I mean, yeah, we grew up with X-Men and, you know, the really cool, you know, you know, black and blue spandex and all that fun stuff. But as we matured into men and adults, these were the comments that came with us because they were being created at the same time we were growing, like we were growing into adulthood. So I think you're going to be hard pressed not to find stories that have this kind of theme in it, unless you go back to, you know, the pre, pre last millennium. Two things. Adam, have you ever read a book called uh, the horror show by David J. Skull? I have not. No, it might be something that you would be interested in. Um, it's, it's a book I love dearly. It's what it is, is the guy's theory is that you can judge a culture based on what they're afraid of. And so he goes through the history of uh, horror films and he takes the horror movies and what was popular in horror movies and what the horror movies were saying and equates that to what was going on culturally. So he starts out with like um, the old black and white, uh, you have like Frankenstein and Dracula and um, the mummy Mm -hmm. and uh, certain things like that. And part of what he associates that with is those came out post-World War I. Well, World War I was one of the first points in time where uh, field medicine was to a point where people were actually surviving war and coming back with injuries. So it was one of the first times when people were seeing the the atrocities of war in their day-to-day lives. And so a lot of those heroes, or not those heroes, a lot of those monsters are in some way or another incorporating body parts, trying to put themselves back together again. Dracula needs blood to live. Uh, Frankenstein needs to put other body parts together to become, you know, himself and whatnot. And you move forward. There's the obvious atomic age of, you know, big atomic things and stuff like that. But it starts getting kind of interesting in like the Reagan era, where you know uh, everything was supposed to be hunky dory and everything was great. Well, if you notice, all the horror movies are based around the home. Um, you have, you know, uh, Friday the Thirteenth, and you have Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street. Street. And, yeah, you got all, all the stuff, stuff where based on, you know, when a where calls. To be pristine and happy. That's where everything horrible happens. I mean, then with the the age scare, you have the rise of vampirism again but the interesting thing that happens is, is that and I don't think it's a coincidence at all I mean it's very obviously connected post 9-11 is where you also see the rise of popularity in zombies because it's all of a sudden people are, are now aware of or they're now afraid of mass chaos but you also have um, a somewhat and this happened in the 70s as well you have sort of like a, a, a faith crisis amongst America and so therefore you also have a lot of ghost stories and things like that because people are not necessarily certain where they stand and so the, there's there's some interesting things about it it's it's a it's a long book but it's a really fast read if that makes any sort of sense something you might want to look into because it's, it's pretty awesome no it sounds actually there's a there's a documentary that we own I, I I'm, I'm right now googling like crazy for it um but it does the same thing where it it follows the history of american horror from the 20s up until i think it was made in like 2009 i want to say mm-hmm. uh and it's i'm sure it's staring me right in the face and i can't see it but i think it's called like american horror or a red, white, and blue American horror or something, but mm-hmm. it sounds like it's exactly that book made into a documentary. So if you, if I can find it, I'll share it with you. But it's like a two-hour documentary, but it's really, really interesting. Oh, there it is. At Nightmares and Red, White, and Blue: The Evolution of the American Horror Film. 
Okay. In 2009, right. I was right. So there we go. <laughs> um, well, that being said, I'm going to jump in with my cocktail. Mm -hmm. uh, hey, cock. Uh, uh, so my cocktail <laughs> is uh, is the Ward Eight, um, which is an old cocktail. It's technically from Boston, um, but it's it's politically driven. Um, the there's a few different stories as to where it comes from, but the one that's most agreed on is from a Democratic um, political czar named Martin Loomsday. He had hoped to get a seat in the state senate in the Court of Massachusetts, and um, the Ward Eight is named after the area um, Ward Eight of Boston that ended up helping him win uh, the election. But basically, the cocktail. And so, and part of the other reason I picked this cocktail is uh, Rich, who did our cocktail for way back in the day when we did. Oh, why am I blanking? He did uh, the elixir for Doctor Strange: The Oath. I asked him what, like, kind of what his gateway into like craft cocktails was, and he had been a bartender and he'd gone to uh, a bar in LA, uh, and they had made him the Ward Eight and knew the whole story behind. You know, it was you know named after this political guy who had the drink named, you know, basically would drink this drink and it was named after the area of uh, the city that helped him win the election. And so uh, as part of his gateway. So now I've had this drink before, it's, it's actually very good. But what it is, is it is two ounces of rye whiskey, a half ounce of fresh lemon juice, a half ounce of fresh orange juice, a teaspoon of grenadine, and then if you want to, you can throw in a maraschino cherry. Uh, you shake it all together over ice, um, and then you strain it into a cocktail glass, and then you can garnish with a cherry if you desire. It, it was, if you want to be really old school and original about it, you can put like a small uh, Massachusetts flag in the uh, to garnish it, but that's not necessarily <laughs> required. But yeah, so that's my cocktail for this. Um, anybody else want to jump nice. in with a cocktail? Well, I've sure. got mine. Go, go so, ahead, Ty. Thanks, Hugh. Um, looking and reading this book, and I was thinking about the mind of Mitchell Hundred. Being the mayor of New York sounds like it'd be a like nonstop job, day in and day out. So this guy doesn't have time to actually mix a drink, cause no one has time for that. No one got time for that. Nobody got time for that. So, but he does like his booze. So, what well, this guy would drink is he have a few cubes of ice and just put in about four fingers of Johnny Walker, and you just drink that to get through it, trying to balance out your um, over budget spending for the snow removal. And what do you do with a piece of art the city funded that's just going to give you an ulcer? Is you have a few fingers of some Johnny Walker. And that's my drink. Some Johnny Walker over ice. That's it. Well, Q, do you have a cocktail? Yes, I do. So mine's called The Machinist, and I'm not going to lie. This sounds super <laughs> fucking gross. Um, so it's uh, one ounce of some fancy sherry, one ounce of white tequila, one ounce of celery syrup, which you make with fresh celery juice and sugar, which also sounds super fucking gross. Uh, some fresh lemon juice, Suze gentian liqueur, which, again, I have no idea what the fuck that is. I really should have, like, Googled this. And some bitterman celery shrub. Again, this sounds super acidity and super gross. Um, so you just kind of put all that shit together, shake it up, pour it over ice, and um, garnish with black pepper. This, so I put, chose this not only for the name, but it, it just kind of, like, the book, I, like, liked it, but I didn't like it. So, like, to me, like, this this cocktail, it sounds really gross, but more than likely, all of it together, will probably it's probably going to be okay. And, like, that's just kind of how I felt about the book. I'm like, it was it was a lot to read. It, it was, like, a little um, a little too political for me, a little too, um, you know, we all know I'm, I'm a spandex, tights and capes 
kind of gal. So like, you know, I want, you know, a little bit more badassery superheroics, which is also probably why I like the second arc better because there was a little bit more of that going on. It was, it was still okay. And uh, so it was just kind of like, here, here's this cocktail. It'll probably be okay. It'll probably be okay. <laughs> that's uh, basically your, back. that's what pretty much up. everyone is saying about the Trump administration. So, um, <laughs> no, I, I, I put it on mute. I put it on mute because I had to sneeze, and I thought I took it off. And so I was wondering why no one was responding to me when I was talking. I was like, "Why, you assholes, ignoring me?" Yeah. So um, my drink is called the President Lincoln, um, just because that part of the book was very pretentious, and this drink sounds like it'd be very pretentious. Um, okay. So you get a. Oh, and also, um, does anyone know how what the proper measurement is for a dash? It's like a dash of bitters or a dash oh, no, of this. No, no, no. It is. It's uh, if you're gonna measure it out, it's a fifth of a teaspoon. So, girl, I ain't got a measuring thing that small. (laughs) That's just that's just again some pretentious city nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) But um, actually, this does sound kind of good. Out, yeah, I'm I'm gonna actually. I don't have any absinthe. I would have made it already. But you take uh, one and a half ounces of bourbon. Kubler, by the way, I recommend Kubler absinthe. Okay. Uh, three dashes of simple syrup, two dashes of orange curacao, two dashes of orange bitters, and one dash of absinthe. Uh, you stir that over ice, you strain into a rocks glass, and then you top it off with club soda. You can have my bottle of absinthe. That stuff's gross. Which one do you have? <laughs> Got the, uh, the Van Gogh absinthe. It's pretty I've never awful. tried that. Well, I'm not a licorice fan. Yeah, I guess that's true. You have to kind of be a black licorice fan to like absinthe. So I'm I, that and my sambaca and my ouzo, all of it. I'm like that stuff's gonna last longer than my body will if it stays in my closet. Uh, if you want, I'll take it with me when I come out to Utah. Deal. <laughs> um, also, Todd, speaking of presidents and alcohol, I, I found this useless fact um, today because mm-hmm. I. I, I, as those of you who know and have hung out with me, I love useless facts. My poor wife gets them daily, so feel sorry mm-hmm. for her. I found out that at one time, George Washington was the largest producer of whiskey mm-hmm. in America. Uh, he made 11,000 gallons in 1799, just so you know. If it's anything like the uh, George Washington whiskey we had, yeah, that's all for him, man. I don't yeah, want to that. Sure. <laughs> my, my other favorite fact I found out as well is that a butt is a real measure, uh, unit mm-hmm. of measurement. Uh, for a cask of wine, so a buttload is about 108 imperial gallons, just in case you're wondering how much a buttload is. But what about an ass ton? Uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, the the joke we have at work is, is it a regular fuck ton or a metric fuck ton um, is the other one that uh, we have to figure out all the time. Well, cool. We've already gone long on this one, so do we want to start jumping on reviews? Q, we kind of already have your final review. Yeah, I I, I really don't have much to say. If someone else says something, I might chime in, but... Okay, sounds good. Um... I'm going to say, I'll just jump in now. Mm-hmm. I liked this the second time around better than I liked it the first one. I totally see where Q is going with it, because I did feel it was a bit preachy the first time I read it, which is why I don't think I finished the series. Um, one of the odd things that kind of bothered me the first time I read it is I didn't like the art the first time around. I found it really kind of odd, the the photo to drawing for some reason that really bothered me. And then this time around, it didn't bother as much because I think it's a little bit more common. I think it was just so different than what I'd been reading at the time. I liked it more this second time around, but I also only read the first little bit of it, which is a little more... I don't know. It's fun. I kind of like the political movement and shaking of stuff, but that's also because, I mean, my father is very politically involved and he's a lawyer, so this is the kind of stuff we talk about at the dinner table kind of thing. So I can see where I might have more of appreciation for it than that. It's not a book for everybody, um, but I, I do enjoy it. Um, 
I mean, I think if I was giving it a rating out of 10, I'd probably put it at like a seven. Like, it's good. It's not amazing. Um, you know, there's definitely other things to do. I mean, I do like Brian K. Vaughn quite a bit. Um, so um, I, you know, will probably give it a little bit more leeway just because I'm a fan of his. Um, but that's that's my two cents on that. Todd or Adam? Um, my review on it, looking at it, the art, I really enjoy the art. And if people are unaware, on that, at least the back of mine, it even shows examples of photos they took and then the mm -hmm. painting on top of those photos. And even people that were stepped in as the subjects. I don't know. They're even giving credits. Yeah, uh, they have a whole played. cast of models in the back. Yeah, they have a whole cast of models in the back. And I do kind of like it. I mean, it is a little bit different. It's got kind of a rotoscopy feel to the whole thing. Yeah, a little bit. As much everything else. And I kind of dig that. I mean, with the story, I mean, this is not a uh, spandex and capes kind of story. And it was a little bit. Brian touched on it earlier. This was some of the stuff I was getting into comics and in college. So it's not the 12-year-old me. I mean, I still like dick and fart jokes. But it is a little bit of a... How are different people dealing with and processing this event of 9-11 and what it has on our psyche? And how even though it's there and ever-present, the uh, minutia and the daily grind must go on as well as other things. So for me, a really lot of this book is how 9-11 and some of these other stories become part of the fabric, but it's not the fabric of our lives, but it's definitely there and it leaves a stain. So I did enjoy it. I mean... It was going there, and I've got the first five trades. I mean, there's ten of them out there. I've got half of them, and mm -hmm. I haven't finished it yet either. Yeah. And that might be a decent review it as well. I mean, I want to, and I'm like, oh, I need to go back and finish that stack in my order, and I haven't done that yet. I really did enjoy it, but apparently not enough to keep reading because I bought the fifth trade about five, six years ago, and that's where it stopped. So, yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, on that same thing, I think I bought this loving Why the Last Man, which we'll get to at the end of the month, and I thought, mm -hmm. oh, that book was amazing, and then this is, it's good, it's not on the caliber. If you're expecting Brian K. Vaughn from, you know, Why the Last Matter Saga, this is not gonna scratch that itch, unfortunately, at least in my opinion. Uh, Adam, what are your thoughts? So I, actually, I had a, a lot of fun with this one. I would highly recommend, though, if you get the trade, get the one that Q and I got, because yeah. the last half is a lot better than the first half. Uh, it's more engaging, intriguing. And this kind of felt uh, like when we were reading Hawkeye, where it's you got a superhero, and it's kind of like his day-to-day -day life. And yeah, there's some mm -hmm. superhero-ish stuff going on, uh, but it's kind of like the, the battle between him, his wanting to be the mayor, and then... People like no, Kremlin's like no. You need to become you know the superhero again and go do things. Uh, it was kind of a really fun tug of war, but yeah, the the first bit where it's kind of it, it flips back and forth way too much. I, I do like the I do like flashbacks in general, but sometimes like for the first like thirty pages, which is why I made that rule because that's what happens the most. I kind of wish they would have just done. Like, here's the backstory, here's where we are now, and then throughout the rest of the book, done the flipping back and forth. Um, but no, it's interesting. I've, I've got the second one. Um, I'll probably read that one, too. Uh, I don't know when, because obviously we've got stuff coming up we need to read. And while I do want to see the rest of the story, I, I like the fact that there is some uh, measure of closure of this. We, we kind of, at least in our book, you ended figuring a lot of stuff out, but then there's still a lot of questions that are left unanswered. Uh, I kind of wish Letter 44 had done that, because Letter 44 didn't answer any questions, it seemed like. Uh, mm -hmm. This one at least you know, closes a few plot hole twists and then gives you more to think about um so yeah i'm gonna i want to read more i want to see where it goes but it's not in my top 10 next things to read so i, I think I'm kind of with brian on a, on a one to ten scale i'm around a seven uh 
it's a cool idea. I, I'm excited to read more of Brian K. Vaughn, but I would probably put more of his work ahead of this one. Another thing that I think I would, I think I would have liked better in this book, um, when reading his like proposal that's in the back of our trade, is he's talking about how um, you know the superhero retires and becomes the mayor, and like so like when we first, uh, when I first heard about this book, you know back when it came out, I was like, oh, so it's like Superman, like stopping and then like running for mayor and like how like obviously he would win because you know everyone's everyone loves superman kind of a thing whereas like with this i feel like and it it does and it does get brought up in the book is that he did like one super heroic thing which was help out at 9-11 and he sort of parlayed that into you know winning being the mayor of of uh new york like he he was only like a super a quote superhero for like a few months if you know if a year so mm-hmm. i was just kind of like oh i thought i i thought it was going to be different like i thought that it was going to be like oh this superhero who's been around for a while that all the people rallied around then was running for mayor so I, I I think that could have been his original idea, and people thought that you know that wouldn't work, kind of a thing, and so you know he changed it or whatever. But th- that that kind of threw me as well. I thought I, I so I was going in thinking that it was going to be something different. And it, it, since you guys kind of all said like an out of a ten, I would give this like a five. Like again, it was it, it was okay. It wasn't really my my kind of thing, but I didn't hate it. Like I, I didn't hate it, but I also it was a book that as I said before. I, I really felt like I was like, oh my, oh my god, how much more is left of this? Like, oh. I think that will probably wrap it up for that. Uh, we can jump into recommendations. Um, I'm going to lead off with mine, because I might steal it from someone, and if I do, I'm sorry. At the time of recording this, just recently, um, the uh, Netflix series of A Series of Unfortunate Events with Neil Patrick Harris playing Count Olaf uh, just came out. I've watched the two, first two episodes so far and have quite enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. It reminded me, like, there were because the first story is very similar to the movie they did with Jim Carrey, I kept thinking, you know, oh, this is different. So I'm excited to kind of keep going and see how it, it, it changes. But there are some fun celebrity cameos in it. Um, the kids are actually really endearing and adorable in the, in the show. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris, for the most part, is fun. The only problem, like my little beef with it, is there's a few times, because, I mean... Uh, and Adam probably can attest to this. I've watched a lot of Neil Patrick Harris on How I Met Your Mother, and there are a few like standard go-to isms that he does on How I Met Your Mother that I always sort of assumed was a Barney characteristic that he does as Count Olaf, so I'm like, oh, it's a Neil Patrick Harris mm-hmm. kind of go-to joke. Those, I don't want to say they bother me, but they pull me out just a little bit. But outside of that, I thought it was fun, and I think it's worth uh, checking out if, uh, if if you're so interested. I. I, I've enjoyed it so far, but like I said, I've only seen the first two. So if it ends up turning out to be terrible at the end, I apologize. But for the first two episodes, I liked it. Well, uh, according to IG, IGN, it's not. So it, it okay. finishes well. So Okay, cool. Uh, anybody else? Yeah, um, so we're, we're only at this time of recording uh, up to the third episode. But this new season of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia has been the best they've had in years. I mean, they've... They've taken jokes and gone to places that I didn't think they would go to. <laughs> um, uh, all the while making some good points. Uh, like, But still, they're just... its You thought these were the most horrible people on Earth, and they found a way to be more horrible. And I i was sitting here at the end of the last one. I'd rewind the second episode, the end, like 20 times, because I missed so much I was laughing so hard each time. So <laughs> if, you, if you've been a longtime fan of the show and... Yeah, maybe I haven't watched in a while, or kind of thought maybe it'd been going downhill. Uh, they're back with a vengeance, and you will go to hell for laughing at this show. So, uh, watch with that warning over it. Q or Todd, do you have any recommendations? I've got mine. 
So, okay. since doing this, my comics collection has been expanding, one yes. might say. That's what's good mine. and bad, mostly good. Um, also, part of my job is I keep track of shit, and it kind of spills over to the rest of your life. I found this app, it's on iOS and Android, called CLZ Comics. Mm-hmm. And there's a trial for the first 100 records. It's free, but you can um, just take your camera, you scan the barcode in the back, and it'll just suck it right into your collection for you if you're Are putting you it in serious? there. serious? Yeah. Oh, son of a bitch. I have, like, a spreadsheet <laughs> that I keep up to date. And luckily for iCloud, like, I can look it up when I'm at the comic book store and whatnot. Uh-huh. And... So they make this for iOS, and you can back it up and look at it from multiple devices with your database here. It's CLZ Comics. Do you have to look it up through that database, or can you like upload it to like a an Excel or um, uh, you know numbers file or something like that? I am not positive on this. It might be a standalone database locked into okay. that. This could be it. But I've been using that a little bit and just trying to figure out what do I have, don't I have? I, in my past, mm-hmm. I do have three copies of a certain volume of DMZ because I'm like, you go to the comic store, like, yes, I need to get that one. You come home, damn it, I already just bought that one, but I haven't I read haven't... it yet. I haven't done that with comics, but I've definitely done it with movies. Mm-hmm. I have, like, two copies of the last Harry Potter book. Or the Harry Potter movie. Sure. So, CLZ Comics, it's interesting. Once again, the first 100 titles are free. After that, there is a one-time fee. So, my, my recommendation is more of a uh, cautionary tale. Um, <laughs> okay. So, my, my friends and I have been waiting anxiously for Hurricane Bianca, the uh, Bianca Del Rio movie, to come out. Mm-hmm. And it's really not that great. Um, <laughs> so it, it is on Netflix, and um, you know if you're if you're a big fan of Bianca like we are, don't pay attention to the plot so much. Just wait until she turns into Bianca and insult people because that's what you're watching for anyway. So don't care about the plot because it's not good. It's a dumb movie, really kind of weird, but. Her insults are always funny. So enjoy, but take it with a grain of salt. Have have a bunch of cocktails. Turn it into a drinking game by you know by all means. But it's it's kind of fun if if you're a drag race fan. There's also lots of uh, drag queen cameos. The funny the funniest parts are with Shangela and Willem and Alyssa Edwards. Anyway. Also, by the way, I was just going to let you know, Adam or Todd, because uh, Adam, this might help you out. I just looked up uh, that app. They also have a movie and music version as well, so you can scan your Blu-rays and DVDs and all that stuff, and all those things. Um, mm-hmm. And also, Todd, it says that uh, for another purchase, you can actually sync it to a, a desktop database, which I'm assuming means oh, that nice. you can try to sync it to something else. But I'll, I might look at that. So. so, of course, the scanner is all dependent on the camera on your phone, of course. So if you've got a good camera, it probably works better than if you have a subpar camera. Okay, there you go. Sorry, useless yep. facts. Um, the other thing we talk about more than musical theater um, and comic books uh, is drag queens. So we, we got pretty much everything. <laughs> I mean, are, are, are we the number one podca- comic book podcast among Salt Lake City drag queens? I'm, I'm going to claim that statistic. I don't <laughs> yes. know if it is. Yes, we are. I, I, I just remember seeing um, some some drag queen liked us on Facebook who listens yeah. to Blake, and I was like, well, obviously we're That's in- awesome. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, so next week we're continuing our exploration of the work of Brian K. Vaughn. Um, we are doing The Pride of Baghdad, which I have never read. This was Todd's been telling me for years to read this book. Um, so yeah, so that'll do it for this week, and uh, thank you all for joining us, and uh, we will see you next week, unless anybody has anything else they want to say. <coughs> <Blast>. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, my button's not working. Shit. <laughs> I'm trying to play the plastic with you. Ah, oh, sad. There it goes. <laughs> I pressed that button like 14 ah, times. Oh, there, now it's going to go. Multiple times. See, you're just going to keep hearing it over and over again. See, this could be a ringtone, folks. You can have this going off in the background. That would be awesome. Yeah, I need really, I really. Oh my god, it's still going. Why is it still going? I told you, I pressed the button like 14 times and it wouldn't go. Like, it's not about finish work, but I'm just gonna keep going. Okay, I think we're done now. Okay. And good night, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. This band of knuckleheads will be back next week with a new episode. Until then, you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr as Funny Books and Firewater. And on Twitter as at FirewaterCast. Go to FunnyBooksAndFirewater.com for the most up-to-date information. As well as cocktail recipes from this and past episodes. Thank you for joining us. And until next week, support your local comic shop. Tip your bartender well. And stay hydrated.